Be seated. Pop quiz. Who is buried in Grant's tomb? The world is full of tombs, crypts, and mausoleums where people are buried, embalmed, entombed, and preserved. Grant's tomb is one of them. I think also of Vladimir Lenin, embalmed and encased in glass forever in Red Square in Moscow. The pharaohs of Egypt, buried in the great pyramids at Giza. Or Cyrus, the ancient emperor of Persia, buried in his own pyramid in Susa in modern-day Iran. I learned just this morning that archaeologists now believe that Stonehenge in England is in fact a great cemetery. And of course, the third wife of the 14th century Mughal emperor, whose final resting place is the Taj Mahal. The world is full of tombs where people are buried, embalmed, and preserved in their place forever. Pop quiz part two. Who is buried in Jesus' tomb? You might think. On Easter Sunday morning, Christians around the world go to church to celebrate and commemorate an empty tomb. In the old city of Jerusalem, there is a church called the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. Ostensibly, this church was built on the site of Jesus' burial in his tomb. But no one really knows where that tomb was or if, in fact, Jesus actually was buried in a tomb. The Gospels do not record history for us. They reveal wisdom. And even at the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the wisdom of God is revealed in that what is commemorated there is the empty tomb. Turns out the world is also full of empty tombs. Perhaps you have gone through and come out of some of them. In 1990, after two years of art school, I decided to take a year off. There were some good reasons for this and some bad reasons for this. And what appeared to be one of the good reasons was an invitation from my friend Greg to live with him out at the end of Long Island and to work on sailing vessels and to save money and to spend the rest of the year traveling, ultimately arriving in Costa Rica where we would live on the beach and he would teach me to surf. (laughs) Greg was pretty much the coolest person I had ever met. He was tall and good-looking and lived carefree and footloose. He was a surfer, he spent a lot of time traveling, and he dated hot surfer girls. I wanted these things in my life more than you can possibly imagine. (laughs) And I felt like Greg's invitation to me was a golden ticket for paradise. So I spent the rest of the summer saving what money I could, and in the beginning of September, my brother and I drove from Buffalo to New York to Montauk, Long Island. God bless my brother. It's about a a ten-and-a-half-hour drive, and we arrived late at night in the dark. And at that time, Montauk was very much a locals-only kind of place. In the part of town where Greg lived alone in a little beach house that he rented, there were not even any street signs. And so in the days before cell phones and GPS, 
In the dark, my brother and I struggled to follow Greg's directions to find his house. And at last, we thought we had found it, alone at the end of a little beach access road, perched right on the water. And when we arrived in total darkness, the house was all shut up. And when we knocked, no one answered. Confused and not sure what to do, we backtracked a little bit and woke up the nearest neighbor, who had no idea who Greg was and really didn't have any interest in helping us. We'd already encountered the police, and they were aware of our presence in the area. (laughs) So we did next what any reasonable person would do, and we broke into Greg's house. (laughs) Years of being latchkey kids had made us experts at jimmying open windows, so we found one, opened it, and crawled inside to discover a completely empty house with empty shelves, and in the kitchen, a propped open, unplugged, empty refrigerator and a dead telephone. And I remember my brother checking the phone line for a signal and hanging up and looking at me and in the dark in that empty house saying, Steve, nobody lives here. It was some weeks later that I discovered that in the three days between the time I had last talked to Greg and the time my brother and I arrived in Montauk, Greg had gotten another opportunity to work on another boat sailing for Spain and he packed up his toothbrush and left. That house, to me, was an empty tomb. All my dreams and plans and hopes of sailing and surfing and dating hot surfer girls (laughs) came crashing to an end, and I was left with no plan and no idea what to do next. What happened next is a story for another time, But the point is that that empty house, that empty tomb, was a place where all my plans failed and I had to do something, and I didn't know what it was. Like Mary, weeping in the garden, looking for the body of Jesus, my brother and I sat in his car on the side of the Montauk Highway at three in the morning and I had no idea what I was going to do with my life. But this is what it means to be faithful. Not to know and have evidence that God is real. Not to embalm, preserve, and build for the body of our Savior a massive tomb where he lays in state for all eternity. But to encounter the empty tomb and the risen Christ to grieve for the loss of what might have been, but to recognize the wisdom and the power of God, even in the emptiness, making startling new life and leading us into a new creation. To be surprised, but not completely surprised, by the limitless power of God's love. This church is our empty tomb. Every church, on every Sunday, is an empty tomb. Like the disciples, we come fueled by curiosity and hope, having heard word of something mysterious and puzzling. And we peer into the tomb, looking for evidence and an answer to our questions about life. Like Mary Magdalene, We go with the intention to embalm the body, 
to perfume it with spices, to make it nice for the sake of posterity, for a memory, to preserve what once was. But there's no one there, no person, no body in the flesh. Well, except for us, the body of Christ, just us and our empty tomb. Christians rejoice because of the witness of Mary Magdalene, she who remained with Jesus while he suffered and died, she who preserved the rites of burial and took spices to the tomb to anoint his body, and she whose desire for her beloved was stronger than her grief, so that when she met Jesus again in the garden, she could see him again anew, reach out to him, but not grasp him, hear his voice and trust him, that he lives and lives in us, and that God is not dead, and that the empty tombs of our lives are places where God is working out transformation, salvation, and new life. In her faithfulness, Mary shows us what it means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, not to entomb, but to desire, not to embalm, but to inflame, and in the process, to be liberated from death and from all the tombs and final resting places of the world. Run, tell the news, the tomb is empty, Christ is risen, alleluia.